on this episode, my former intern, another one of them, his name is Scott, joins me on the podcast. He wrote a book. It's called Create Your Community, A Young Adult's Guide to Successful Networking. I read the book, gave it to some of my other interns. We dive into that. We talk about politics, kind of his you know future with his job, some thoughts on myself and my job. Oh, it's a great conversation. I look forward to talking more politics with him as well. It's all coming up this episode, Out of the Hat. All right. Are you there? I'm here. Perfect. And we're off and running. Hello. Uh, how you doing? I I'm good. How are you? Oh, it's been a while. I'm, I'm tremendous. I'm I'm sitting in a six by ten foot booth, what I like to refer to as radio jail, and uh, uh, yeah. you know, off off and running. It's uh, it's good times. I'm I'm already recording. I will will let you know that uh, if if I have to edit anything, I always can, but. Uh, but I look forward to uh, to what the heck we're going to talk about here. Have you, have you listened to the podcast at all? Do you do you get a flavor for how these go? Yeah, I listened to um, I listened to one episode. Okay. With your intern Taylor. Yeah. Who is from Nevada, I think. Yeah, she's from Reno. Yeah. Yes, from Reno. So I listened. I listened to that one. Um, which is what made me want to come on the show myself. I was like, I'm a former intern of Joe's. Like, I can be on the show, too. Dude, so anybody can be. be on the show. I mean, my dad's on the show sometimes, so... I know, that's what I heard. I have to go back and listen to those. Those sound like interesting episodes. Well, I... Before COVID hit, I just decided that... I was like, you know, I, I want to talk to people about things that they're interested in. So, originally... I would have people send me ideas. I'd pull them out of a hat. I would do an episode. Might be an episode on my own. Might track somebody down who I thought would be a good person to talk to. Well, after six or seven of those, I wasn't going to beg people to send me ideas. So I just started jotting down my own ideas, and I'd reach out to people who I wanted to talk to about them. And then I decided, you know, well, I want to know what the heck they want to ask me and then I started splicing my dad in because I'm sure you've seen those books like in uh, Barnes and Noble or on Amazon, like my father's story and, you know, where they're just blank and they'll be like questions like, you know, your dad will talk about, you know, his favorite memory of you as a child. And I just thought like, well, I could do something like that, but I'd I'd like to just ask my dad about all sorts of stories. So I kind of use that book as a framework, but then um, we just kind of get off and running from there. And, and this podcast is a hot mess. It goes all over the place, but but I enjoy it. And so far, a few people seem to enjoy it as well. And if they don't, they can go find one of the other billion podcasts out there. That's <laughs> that's for them. Yeah. No, that sounds great. I, I actually briefly had a podcast myself like this in college, and it was Sort of, sort of similar to this. Like we would have guests, my co-host and I, and we would talk about like anything that interested them um, and stuff that interested us as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a great format. I, I, uh, I'm excited to be a part of this one. Are you in LA right now? 
Yes, I'm currently in L.A. Um, Sunny in 93 is, as I look it up today. Yes, it is very, very hot here. And I, so I came here, I, I was home for a while, for several months during the pandemic, and I came back here partially to escape the heat. <laughs> and I, but, but like 93, I was like, I can handle 93. That's like nothing. But it's hot. Like, it, just because it's not 118 or whatever it is in Phoenix, like yeah. 93 is still like nothing to sneeze at, especially uh, here at, uh, here like near the ocean, it's a lot more humid. So it's, it's definitely hot today. It's kind of like what I grew up in in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where you definitely get that humidity. And especially at the end of the summer, August, September, I think the heat really turns up there in LA. And a lot of, a lot of people don't have air conditioning in their houses and they'll just have fans. And it's, man, in the middle of the day, I give it up to them because at least here in Phoenix, well, it is that brutal dry heat and it might be 115. You've always got the AC to turn to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I went to college on the East Coast. I didn't, I don't think I had air conditioning or I didn't have a good one. Mm-hmm. If you have them, they're never good. Like here I have a window unit. So um, it's never as good as central AC that we have in Arizona. So yeah, I totally, I know that life too. It's awful. So I first met you when you interned here at KTAR, you had reached out, you were a student at, uh, U of Penn back East and yeah. you wanted to, you know, you tell me what the heck did you reach out to KTAR for when you were a student from Penn? Yes. I knew you lived here in the Valley when you were growing up, but but why KTAR when you're you're interested in TV? Um, <laughs> it's a great question. I grew up, uh, yes, I grew up in the Valley, born and raised. I was a big fan of KTAR's talk shows when I was growing up. I Even when I was like, oh, probably nine or ten, I had this tiny little like radio thing that we bought at Walgreens that would only get... Uh, like FM and I would listen to Gatos' show I, like when I was like laying in bed trying to go to sleep because he was on from like 7 to 10 or something and uh, you know we used to listen to Mac Watson in the afternoons and then Mac and Gatos um, so I listened to their show like all through high school going back and forth and I was a big fan and uh, I was I knew I was going to be at home for the for the summer that summer and it was an election year 2016 I'm also a very big political person and it just seemed like a great place to learn about uh, you know politics and the media and work for a show that I was a big fan of I was uh, excited about the idea of working with you and with Mac and Gatos and uh, let's be honest so, yeah, you were excited like, to work with Mac and Gatos not so much me <laughs> <laughs> well I knew of you too you were you were Lloyd Banks yeah, yeah. so yeah no yeah, all, all three of you and it was great and and what I came away with so mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be more like a ju- like more of a journalism internship, <laughs> which is not what I was studying. Yeah. But what I came away with was it actually worked out better than I expected because, you know, it is a it's a it's a news talk show, but it's really built around like you know entertaining the listener, you know, figuring out what they want to hear, uh, telling a good story, and uh, it turned out to be I think like more relevant to what I wanted to do than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turned out great, and it was a great mix of that and politics. We were—I remember—I we, was there for the conventions, which is crazy because we're in the convention season right now. It's been yeah. four years, so 
Uh, I had a great, great summer there. It's funny because our our latest intern just started yesterday was her first day. And she's really interested, she told me, in writing for radio. And I was telling her about my job, and I told her, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I'll write out rundowns, and I'll look for stories. But so much of what we do is just reading those stories and applying our ideas to them. I said, there's there's almost no writing involved in the talk shows. I said, now there is on the news side where we're writing out scripts, um, but she also stressed. Yeah, is that what she meant? Well, um, she. I'm not a hundred percent clear yet. I mean, we're only on day one for her, so I think we're gonna have to <laughs> drill it down. But she told me she's very interested in uh, companies like BuzzFeed and Disney and um, lots of different ideas, which I like. I like that you know somebody is very open to different things, and that she. What I find with a lot of students now is. They say they're interested in being journalists, and what I always ask them and challenge them on is, what does it mean to you to be a journalist? Because I find that most students don't like my definition of journalism, because to me, journalism means taking um, taking your opinion out of the news and being objective. And I think most people now feel like they just want to express themselves and be creative with it, which to me is broadcasting. That's not journalism. Like to me, journalism is, you know, seeking the truth and not interjecting your opinion. And it's not necessarily one side or the other. It might be 15 different sides. That to me is journalism. If I asked you, like, hey, what's journalism to you? Or what's the difference between journalism and broadcasting? Like, what would you say about those? That's that's really interesting. Because I took, I actually ended up taking a lot of classes in college that were not like, not like practical journalism classes, but they were more theoretical, like the study of like the history of journalism and yep. stuff. So we talked about this a lot. Um, I think, I think, I'm close to where you are on journalism. Um, I think it's difficult to be objective. Um, I think being objective is something that you strive for. It's like, I, I don't remember, I think it was Christian Amanpour said it. It was like, I might be attributing it to the wrong person, but mm-hmm. like safety, you can never be a hundred percent safe, but like, it's always something that you're striving for and that's your goal. And so to me, that's what journalism is, is you're, is you, yes, you're trying to be truthful. Yep in what you're reporting sure um and it's and it's you're never going to be 100 percent. i guess objective um or new uh neutral is right. is another word that people like to use it's very hard to be neutral yeah. what i think you're hearing from these other people is is not journalism i agree with you and i think that i think because in our media today there's so much opinion mixed in with news yeah. altogether that it's hard to tell the difference. If you turn on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, like you just see people's faces talking at you. And sometimes those people are are journalists. They're reporting the news like you're talking about. And sometimes they're giving their opinion and the graphics sort of look kind of the same, you know, so you have to be really media savvy to understand, you know, what's journalism and what's opinion. I know I'm sort of going off 
no. further away from your question. Dude, you're not. Um, this, but, uh, never, never. Go. Keep going. I love it. But I think I think that I think that that's I think that's part of the reason why we have an issue with journalism today. And I think that's why a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people that think that mainstream journalism is not objective and is not neutral. It's biased to, uh, mostly to the left. Um, and then there's all there's rightward bias as well. Sure. Of but course. I, I think, yeah, I think, I think that modern media has really just confused everyone as to what like objective reporting should be. There's a difference between reporting the news and like offering commentary. And it, it's often hard to tell, I think, if you're just a casual consumer. And and to me, if you go back to the days of, you know, Cronkite or a little more recently, you know, your Dan Rathers, some people like that, um, they they certainly had more objectivity and it was less a ratings game. Now it's become such a struggle to get eyeballs and to get ears on your product that where we really saw the pivot to me the most in the last four years was with CNN. Because I, I think that MSNBC was always leaning to the left and Fox was always leaning to the right. CNN was looked at to as fairly objective to most people. But with with President Trump uh, being president the last you know four years now, to me, they've shifted pretty hard to the left, maybe not quite as far as MSNBC in some ways, maybe further in others. And it's ticked a lot of people on the right off that, you know, CNN has this big ballast, uh, big bias now. And you're right. Do they have reporters who cover stories who are journalists? A hundred percent. But do they have talk shows on there where, you know, they're kind of blurring the line of what is news and what is opinion? Yes. And you do have to be super savvy. And in many cases, I think people now associate what they believe is journalism and what they don't believe is just kind of filth. And that's that's a big problem, too, because... Um, you know, I think, you know, whether it's even a, a CBS or an ABC News, which I would argue they're fairly objective with what they do, there's still definitely bias that leaks in there, too. And uh, and it's gotten incredibly tough to distinguish for people like, hey, where can I go for a fair, objective source of news? Yeah, um, I actually have a few things to say on CNN, actually, because I I, not so much lately, but for a while, I was a big consumer of CNN. And I've been thinking about this a lot be, yeah. in the age of Trump. And it's no secret I am not, no fan of President Trump. I'm actually very, very anti-Trump. I wasn't going to out you, but since you went there, we certainly can get into it a little bit. So. I'm, well, yeah, I, yeah. But I think he is so uniquely different. I understand that, like, there's been accusations of liberal bias in the news, like, I, I get that. And there's probably things you can point to. I think he's uniquely different and that there's so much lying that is coming out of him and his administration. And when you're in journalism and you're and your job is to report the truth, as we're discussing, fact checking him or talking about places where he's wrong or his or he seems to have some malicious intent in the way he's spreading misinformation um, 
or things that are objectively bad that we as Americans don't like, like racism and xenophobia and all the other things. Mm -hmm. I think that comes off as being liberal or pro-Democrat or whatever. And I, I know what you're talking about. I watch CNN. I've seen Don Lemon talk. I've seen Chris Cuomo talk. Like, I get it. I think that it's difficult because it's, I think it's more of like counteracting all of the things that are Trump. And it's not necessarily like we don't like Republicans or we don't like conservatives. It's, it's, I think it's a Trump thing. I think it's gotten worse under Trump because he's just, he's just his own beast. I would, I would agree with you in part. And I think you'd agree with this too, that presidents throughout all of our history have lied. Whether it's Obama, Bush, Reagan, Nixon, all presidents lied at some point in time. You know, they would sit I there mean, and they, to me, they would, they would lie or they would twist the truth. Uh, what we've seen in the last four years, though, has been, you know, certainly an extension of that. And, um, you, know, you know, Trump, I don't, I don't think if you ask Trump, he would think it's a lie. But but I would agree that the amount of, you know, fake news has certainly ramped up. Right. Yes. And I mean, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. Presidents have lied in the past and they've been caught in lies. I think we know I think we would agree that it's nowhere near close to what we're at here. I mean, I think The Washington Post has counted close to 20,000 lies yep. in in his administration so far. I mean, that's multiple per day. I mean, that's. It's you can't really like you have to assume when he opens his mouth, it is a lie. Now, that's how often he's been on record lying. So you and I I would agree on that. You and I would agree on that. I don't know if if people, you know, on the other, you know, see, (laughs) it's it's funny because, you know, you. So I would always say and, and I was talking to somebody else about this today, too. I would say that I'm fairly moderate or independent. I voted for Republicans, I voted for Democrats, and I voted for independents for the highest offices. Um, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you would identify as a Democrat. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I'm on, on left of center for sure. But uh, but I would agree with you that, that Trump has certainly ramped up the the lying. But where the challenges come in is I think the media has also went after him harder. And is that because he's lying more or is it because uh, the, you know, the, you know, again, what some people perceive as a liberal media is going after him harder? Um, You know, it's what came first, the chicken or the egg there. And then I think the media has also had to say like, well, you know, if we sit here and we just fact check all of the president's lies, we're really not getting to the heart of you know any of these stories. We're just sitting here fact checking, and it's uh, it becomes a struggle to like. Well, okay, here's the story. You know, we have to focus on that, but we also need to clean up all of this too. And it and at times they just try to take on too much. I think. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard anyone say the media takes on too much. <laughs> well. um, I'll have to think about that one a little bit more. Well, I, that, that's uh, just my opinion. Yeah. I I would always say, like, my biggest struggle over the last four years is that I want to find objective sources of the news, and then I want to happily find biased sources. But I wish that places owned their biases and didn't try to either trick people or just hide it. 
Like if you're a, a liberal organization like a, a Huffington Post or an MSNBC, just own it because I still want to go there and consume your news. I want to I want to hear how you view it, how you spin it, uh, how you do consume it. Um, you know, if you're on the right, I want to check out Fox. I want to check out Breitbart. I want to see those things and see how you might spin the same story that a Huffington Post might. That's interesting to me. Um, I value that, but I do still want the objective source. And, and I just feel like it, it's been increasingly tough to find that objectivity. And we increasingly find, you know, the the spin out there. And it's tough for people to really find, you know, what, what they need versus what they want. And I think part of it comes from the agenda setting that the media has power to do. So it's not only the way that some people perceive they, they spin stories. It's also what, what stories they choose to report. Mm-hmm. And people comment on Twitter all the time when something bad happens in the Trump administration, like, It'll be all over CNN, MSNBC, and like the other mainstream outlets and the newspapers. And then on Fox News, they'll be talking about something like totally different that no <laughs> one else is talking about because they're just ignoring that, you know. So people don't have a, the, the same sense of reality no. because people, I agree, it is an issue. People are going into their ideological silos and only consuming often what they want to hear. And we don't know, like, I don't, I think we're going into this election like dealing in two different sets of reality. Like, and that's going to be an issue, I think. And I think also that's why Trump enjoys as much support as he does. I think if we didn't have this media landscape, I think he would be at a 10 or 15% approval rate rather than high 30s, low 40s that he's enjoyed throughout his whole time. Yeah. But I think, I think like we just, we just don't know, we don't know the same thing. So let's let's talk about how you kind of wrapped up your college career and and this book that you you know wrote you know, create your yeah. community a young adult's guide to successful networking. You've been done with college now for how long? Uh, one year. And when did you first have this idea that that you want to talk to young people and help them network with a goal of you know pursuing their you know, dream job, pursuing any job out of school and how to best track it down. So I've always loved, um, I've, I don't want to say I've always loved networking because I don't think I was conscious of that, when, you know, prior to college, but I've always enjoyed like finding different connections, ways people know people are connected, the six degrees of separation thing. Um, I'm Jewish and there's a, this concept of Jewish geography, where all, you know, all Jews sort of are connected and know each other. And I've always found finding those connections to be super interesting. So I've always been sort of like interested in that kind of social networking. Um, in college, I, as we've sort of mentioned, I became interested in working in the entertainment industry. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't go to a school that had a film school. I didn't really know much about what it took to become a TV writer, a TV producer, anything like that, studio executive. And so I realized through learning from the different career services programming that my school offered that a way to learn about your intended career path is to network with people, to reach out to people you know, people, second degree connections, alumni of your college, 
um, and learn about, you know, what it takes to break into the entertainment industry in my case and other things, other cases, other things. Um, and oftentimes like that's how you get internships or jobs. Like people recommend people that say no. And, and in, and in the entertainment industry, I could see that it, it is essential and there's some problematic elements to that. That's sort of a different conversation. Um, but anyway, I enjoyed it because I have a natural propensity to this. I loved getting to talk to new people and making connections and learning. Um, and I discovered among my friends at school that they either like felt like networking wasn't something that they had the ability to do well. Like people would say, I'm bad at networking or they would just be opposed to it. They'd be like, Oh, networking is like, that's how like, power is preserved among the elite <laughs> and it's bad and it's greedy. And I went to, um, I went to the university of Pennsylvania and our business school is well known. The Wharton school, president Trump went there, many other business leaders and people like me who, who were at the school, but who weren't in Wharton sort of had this like negative view of Wharton people basically. And not to call out Wharton. It's a great school. I took classes. I took a few classes there and, and enjoyed it. Um, but it was like, if you weren't in Wharton, like networking was the thing Wharton people do. It's, um, it's funny. So, I uh, I went to a small high school in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I had somebody who went to Penn, too, um, from my school. I don't know if he went through the Wharton School of Business or not. I think he did. But it, it's funny how the, the six degrees of separation kind of kind of tie us all together. And, and I like that you you mention in your book, too, that you know, you mentioned that, you know, being Jewish and kind of, you know, always, you know, six degrees of separation and sitting down and talking to all these different people. Like the the biggest takeaways for me from your book, what stood out to me so much was, one, you can get through it in a couple hours, which I think is key if you're going to talk to young people. Like you didn't, yeah. <laughs> you didn't write Tolstoy here. Like you wrote a very clean, concise, well-written book that hit on a few themes and and you can sit down and you can get through it in a day. If you want to take a week or two and read, you know, five or 10 pages at a time, you can do that. But it was positive. It was upbeat. You address some challenges that you had in there and you make suggestions that people and this is, you know, you, you touched on this, too, Scott. You said, you know, that so many people who are younger and you're in your 20s, I'm in my late 30s, but I would lump people in in my generation right right there too. Do you consider yourself millennial or Gen Z? I consider myself millennial, but I, I think I'm sort of in the middle between millennial and Gen Z. I am not Gen Z. I will plant my flag firmly <laughs> on that. <laughs> and see, I'm, I'm kind of right on that Gen X millennial border. Technically, I'm an old right. millennial. Um, so, so I found that, you know, when you talk about writing thank yous for people and, you know, reaching out to people on their birthdays, things like that. And what I loved the most was was that line that you threw in there about everybody in the world is the most important person to someone. That really hit me. And I really liked how you weaved that in there. And just the way you wrote your book came from such a positive, upbeat, warm place that encourages people to just, you know, get out and try this. You're the example. It's it's working for you. You may not be in your dream job yet, uh, but but you're you're networking to get there and you're efforting to get there and you understand that it's going to take time, but you enjoy the game, which is part of part of the beautiful thing of life. 
Right, exactly. And uh, thank you so much for all your kind words. That means so much. And I think like you got it. That's, that's what this whole thing is. So yeah, so I encountered so much negativity about it. And I was like, no, but it's actually like the stuff of life. It's like, we are human beings. And we enjoy having relationships with other human beings. And that's what this is. And you do it every day. And everyone who you already know is in your network. So it was, I felt like that's why I wrote the book, because I just wanted to sort of destigmatize and reframe it. It's not something that's scary or bad. It's like, it's so fun and great. And it's stuff we do all the time as it is. Um, yeah. And everyone is the most important person in the world to someone. I wish I could take credit for that. I, I can't. <laughs> I learned that at, at my Jewish camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true. And I think that if you look at it like that, like that's a, that's a way to, you know, really realize that everybody has value and everybody, and you can learn something from everyone that you meet and everyone's worth being a part of your community. And hopefully you want to be a part of their community. And I want, and I, I want people to see that it's not just about like, I have to get a job. So let me just like ask somebody if they can get me a job. No, it's like, you should take the time. And that's sort of what a lot of the book um, goes through, like, like taking the time over the course of a long period of time of learning from somebody, developing relationships over time. Like, cause if they like you, then they'll want to help you and you'll want to help them. And like, yes, that is what networking is, but it's not transactional. It's, it's, creating a community like yep. the title of the book says dude if if i could you know help you find your dream job i would love to do that and you and i are are at kind of two different but similar places and i think you're transitioning more to my place while while you're still finding your way too like for me i've been out of college now for you know 15 plus years i graduated back in you know 2004 Um, And one of my biggest struggles as I was wrapping up college and early on in my career was I didn't feel like I had positive examples in a workplace setting to help me learn things. I very much had to be self-taught and I had an internship um, and they would allow me to get in there. And some of it was on me. I didn't ask the right questions at the time, I was just kind of starstruck and, and doing what I loved. And then I got done with it and I realized like, man, this is kind of intimidating and I got through it. But then I also had some people who I would work with who were they the meanest? No, but they they certainly like I would get done doing a sports update and I'd ask them what they thought. They'd be like, oh, that sucked. And I was like, OK, that didn't give me any <laughs> critical feedback. Right. You just told me it sucked. Um, and. I have loved the last like five to 10 years where I've gotten to sit down and work with some of the interns from ASU and Crass and some other places, yourself from Penn. And I like to just give back. And I, as much as possible, try to encourage the students to, hey, ask questions. If there's things that you're interested in, you know what your dream job might be. I thought I knew what mine was when I was, you know, 18 and headed to college. And now I love what I'm doing and I am on a totally different path. I don't want to be a sports radio host or doing a sports radio play by play. Uh, I still am interested in sports, but I very much want to, 
you know, lead a radio station and be that leader. And I try to consume more of that. And I like to give back. And to me, you're in this place where your book does give back. And yet at the same time, talk a little bit about your journey. And you mentioned TV and what you want to do. Now, I remember when you were an intern here and immediately kind of after I would I would talk to one or two coworkers and they'd say, yep, you know, Scott wants to, you know, write for a TV show or like has your idea of a dream job changed even in the last couple of years? And, and where are you oh, at in yeah. your journey? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I've uh, yes, I've long said I want to write TV. Um, and when I was in college, I took like the all the screenwriting tv writing classes that my school offered which was like three um and i wrote stuff for those classes um i came out here so and i also talked to a lot of writers you know that i had connected with through networking um and one of the things that i learned is that you have to be writing all the time of course right so that's sure. to be always honing your craft well i don't <laughs> i don't write all the time because it's not i it's not something that i you know, like naturally do I, it, it's a very solitary activity and I consider myself to be more of an extrovert. I like being around people. So I started working at this job um, that I actually am currently furloughed from due to the coronavirus pandemic, which is a talent management and production company. So we work, so I, I work for the people that represent a lot of actors and writers. Um, and, you know, it was long hours and, like people who are starting out in Hollywood at my age are always working long hours. And if you want to be a writer, you have to come home and write. I just wasn't writing. So I realized, you know what? Like, I don't think writing is necessarily for me. I don't think I am like, I don't have that natural personality. What attracted me to writing mm -hmm. was that in television, you get to sit in a room and make jokes with people all day. That's like, that's like the epitome of what television writing is. It's like a group effort. But in order to get into that room, you have to have a lot of samples ready. And, you know, doing that was didn't come as naturally to me. I did write on deadline for my screenwriting classes, but it was more just like my own, like, writing development. It wasn't, it was more difficult to do. So I decided, so I, in working at this company, I learned a lot more about producing. Producing is, very, is uh, also a creative role. And Very. the word producing has a lot of different definitions and I'm trying to figure out still what all those mean. Um, cause some, cause like the, the talent managers, a lot of them are producers, but there's also producers that aren't talent managers. Um, so it's a, it's a more, it is a creative role, but it's not like, it's not like writing where you're sitting alone with your thoughts on a page. It's like you're reading scripts and giving feedback and you're on set and you're talking to people and you're, often are involved in multiple projects at once and you're moving and going all day and working with a bunch of different people. And I feel like that's much more my, like what I would thrive doing. Mm -hmm. um, I do want it, to, you know, it being a creative role is important to me because I am attracted to like the storytelling part of it. Um, but I have sort of, you know, shifted and reframed where I've been going based on like, what I've realized my strengths are, you know? So a couple things there uh, that, that popped to mind for me, a couple recommendations that I would give you. Um, a, I've recommended this to a lot of people lately, the book Strengths Finder 2.0. Have you heard of it? 
I've heard of it. I think I've seen it maybe like in an airport bookstore or something. So I, I would strongly recommend that because it will help you pick up on your talents and amplify them into strengths. Um, and there's like a personal self-assessment in there. There's a test that you take online. Uh, I, I would strongly recommend that. And you might, you know, pick up certain things that you can, you know, focus on in your life that can help you. And then I'm guessing you've probably seen this or heard of this, too. Have you heard of Masterclass? The, uh, it, I have it on the Apple TV. Um, you know, there's a lot of famous people who, who are a part of it. Have you heard of Masterclass? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I get sponsored ads from them every day on Facebook. <laughs> have you ever uh, Have you ever gotten it? Have you ever thought about checking it out? Um, I've thought about it. I've never done it because it, I assume it's pretty expensive. I don't know if it's. I don't know anyone that's done it. Is it Is it worth it? So uh, there's a lot of different things in there, and what I would tell you is, um, if you just took one of the classes, I think it's about ninety or a hundred dollars for a year with that class. If you get the whole app and the whole kit and caboodle, it's around like a hundred seventy or a hundred eighty dollars for a year. But there's a lot of different things in there. Um, everything from, you know, Aaron Sorkin on screenwriting to I was just going through the writing section and uh, Judy Bloom, James Patterson, and then uh, Shonda Rhimes is talking in there about writing for TV. Uh, Dan Brown is talking about writing thrillers. There's a lot of things geared to writers, but then there's other stuff too. Um, on film and TV, on cooking, if you're interested in that, on photography business and politics. There's just a lot of different sections that I know that my brain can kind of nerd out on. Um, you know, Carl yeah. Rove and David Axelrod have a whole class on there, too, talking about... Together? Ta uh, yeah, talking about campaign strategy and messaging. Wow. And Bob Woodward uh, talks about investigative journalism on there for a class as well. Um, so... I don't know exactly what you consider expensive. I would say, yeah, $180 for an app is certainly not cheap, um, but you get it for the full year. And um, I I watch it on Apple TV. I love to play poker. And there's a lot of the other ones that I'm interested to get into that I just haven't found the time for yet. And I would say that even if they're things that don't apply directly to your career path now and what would you say your your dream job is now? If it was originally, you know, uh, you know, big head of a TV show, what is it now? So my dream job now would probably to be exactly like this guy named Scott Rudin, who is not a good. He, he has a reputation for being really harsh and mean or whatever to people. So not that personality. Yeah. But he's a he's a film, television, and Broadway producer. Um, in New York. And he has, I mean, he's just done a ton of stuff in all three genres. Um, he's very, very prolific. And he's the only producer to have won an Emmy, a Grammy, Oscar, and a Tony or an EGOT. Wow. Um, so I think I, so I have interest in all three of those areas. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that would be like my dream job would be to be a producer sort of in that vein. So, I mean, as, as somebody who's been air quotes producing now for you know, 13 or 14 years here in radio, I would tell you, A, yeah. a if you get to the point where you're like that, Scott, please hit me up and let me know because I want to come work for you. <laughs> uh, and B, I have the utmost of confidence that you will because I love how you kind of network and I love how you attack things and you reach out to people 
And you're so not like that, Scott, because you do come, you know, every day when you would come to work here and intern here, you always had a smile on your face and you do have a positive outlook. And and even if I, you know, would disagree with you or challenge you on something like, you know, you would you would end the day and you would you would have that same smile and you're open to to learning and you'll push back. And, and that's what I really, really, really appreciate about you. So I believe that you can do you know, whatever more than the EGOT is, whatever extra award you could add to it, I believe that you will get there. Um, and, you know, like so much of producing, uh, to me, it's kind of like psychology. I say, and I'm sure I told you this when you were here at KTAR, it's adult babysitting. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of what producing is. But more than that, it's understanding people and and helping them get the best out of themselves. That, to me, is what a great producer is. And that's what I love about it, is I get to work with some supremely talented people, and I try to elevate them and take their game to the next level. And I, in doing that, take my game to the next level. And we it's this constant push-pull, and we just try to get more out of each other, ideally, is how I see it. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for all those kind words again. I mean, well, I mean, wow. it. I mean, it. Um, uh, and I, I agree with everything you're saying. It sort of goes back to the idea of networking, creating your community. It's like we if when we succeed, we succeed together. It's like it's very like no one ever just sort of like succeeds on their own. There's people that are there supporting them along the way. And and I think that that goes to what you're talking about with mm-hmm. producing and helping each other and being better. And I define in the book, uh, sorry to bring it back to the book, but no, I Please I define, bring up the book all the time. I mean, I'm not, since this is a podcast, I'm not, you know, hammering the book all the time, but I will certainly right. include a link to it. And, and as you know, I bought four copies of the book. I bought three for my interns from this, you know, previous semester. I have the one that I just finished, which I will send to my current intern. And, you know, a couple have asked me like, hey, what do you want me to do with the book? And I've told them like, the greatest thing that you could do with the book is find somebody who you care about in your life and pass it on to them. That's what I want to do is kind of a pay it forward with the book. Oh my gosh, you are the best. Um, Yeah, I now lost where I was going. Oh, um, so networking in the book, I define it as the work of creating and building a community of supportive collaborators and allies with common interests who desire to share in each other's success. And I think that's, I think that goes right along the lines of what you're talking about with producing. You get to work with other people and help them succeed mm-hmm. and they help you succeed. Yes. Um, and, and that's, and that's like, that's what a dynamic, meaningful community is either in the workplace or outside the workplace. Um, and, and I love, and I, again, really appreciate what you're doing with the book. And it's so nice that you, that you got those copies for the interns. And I think, I think passing it along, paying it forward is, is part of it too. I mean, especially, and this is what I say in the book too, for young people, it's like we don't, we come from, we don't have very much to offer. Like when we're reaching out to people and what, like we are in a position to learn only and people who are older and are further along in careers have a, they have, you know, they have a little bit more power to do things than we do. Mm-hmm. So it's, we can't really pay people back, but we pay it forward. Um, so I love that as well. We've gone all over the place. I hope I've caught everything you said. 
Um, Dude, I love going yeah, all over the place. Great. That's that's part of the fun of, of this podcast. Yeah. It's meant to be all I'm over the place. I'm having so much fun. This is so fun. I could talk to you like forever. I hope I hope we still have a little bit more time. We do have more time. And oh, even great. when we run out of time, I will certainly bring you back at some point in the not too distant future. And we can talk about more stuff because I'm having a good time too. Like one of the things that I would tell you, like that is a challenge for me in my life with um so i'm an executive producer here now my goal is to become a program director um our station it's now called like the vice president of uh my gosh i can't remember my exact boss's title it's like the vp (laughs) of here hold on i'm gonna run out the door and look at his door and tell you what it says don't go anywhere okay oh I, i we don't need we can't have dead air i have to fill it in with something um, well, so it's great that he's an executive producer. So all that uh, his his door says VP of programming on it, but I think it's like the v- vice president of radio and something else content or something like that. He's got some, you know, big magical title, but you know, it it right. all is essentially program director. Um, and that is my my next goal, where you know. It, it's morphed throughout time. It was, you know, sports play-by-play, sports talk radio. Then it was news talk radio, being a host. Now it's more, um, I am an executive producer now. I want to become a program director. But my challenge is I am not open to, say, moving to, like, um, gosh, what city do I want to pick on right now? Um Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> like, I yeah, I would be open to a few cities in the U.S., but I love it here in Phoenix. And you know that radio is this. You know, like, there's h- how many great news talk radio stations would you say there are in all of Arizona? Maybe, maybe four or five tops, or maybe even less. Sure. So I only know of one. (laughs) So so I wasn't going to say that, but thank you. But I would argue that there's not many out there that are, you know, really the the pinnacle. Like, you know, Tucson might have their own because you can't necessarily hear KTAR if you're driving around in your car in Tucson, though you can get the podcast anytime you want, the KTAR News app. Um, But it's, it's tough to, you know... I want to, you know, be that leader, but, you know, I'm open to, like, maybe Seattle or Las Vegas or Phoenix, um, mostly West Coast cities, uh, San Diego, maybe L.A., but not a lot of cities would I be open to, and, uh, you know, radio is small. Um, and right. then here's another challenge of, it's cutthroat, too, like especially program directing. You could end up in a city and you could get there. And if your ratings stink, you could be out in a year or two. Um, I have this you know, great life that I've carved for myself here in Phoenix where I've been here for 18 years now. I went through college and then, you know, carrying right on through what I do. Um, more than that, 20 years out here now in Phoenix this year um, where I, I don't really necessarily want to move so it makes my options in terms of getting that program directing job very limited um what you know what do you see as like the next step for you and your job and what challenges do you see to doing that like i'm 
I'm networked with other program directors out there. There's been some who have come through our building who've left who I know that I certainly keep in touch with and pick their brain. And it's like this this push-pull for me of like, well, gosh, you know, could I get a program director job somewhere in the country? Probably. But do I want to move to Louisville, Kentucky? Probably not. Right. Um, those are those. Yeah, those are definitely challenges. I'm I'm trying to think I, I I'm sure if you had an answer, then you would have an answer. I'm trying to think of something to help you. And I I'm a little well, stumped on that one. No, I mean, so my answer, as I read through your book, it did kind of re-inspire me to you know, continue to talk to those program directors and continue to, you know, see what comes up in other markets. But I like to challenge myself here, and it's why I do things like this podcast, where I can continue to push myself creatively. Uh, I set a goal this year of I want to read two books a month. Um, That may seem like a lot to some people. It may seem like nothing to others. Last year, my goal was one book a month. This year, I'm on pace for two a month. Um, And some of those are leadership books. Some are just, uh, you know, fun kind of mysteries. Some are sports biographies. Some are, you know, autobiographies from other people. Um, Just reading a lot of different things, consuming more. Uh, pushing myself with my health and fitness. I plan to run a marathon in early February. So there are still things that I can do, even if it's not ultimately, you know, pursuing the job front, that I think all of it kind of ties together. And ultimately, I feel like, too, like, if you put your best foot forward in life, good things will happen to you. And 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 I'll get there eventually. It's not like, okay, I'm I'm not saying like I need to be a program director in six months. Like to me, I would rather learn everything that I can learn and, and my boss, him and I have these talks all the time where he's got me on this um it's like a P- program director kind of training program where every week him and I sit down and and I can pick his brain on anything I want. And there are some weeks where there are certain things like we just did a, a radiothon for the station this past week that I, I really need to focus on those things. But I try to shift my mindset to focus all of them more on what is my boss doing? How can I be more like that? Uh, do I do I want to be more like that or how would I do it differently? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, I, I have I kind of want to take that in a different direction. Go any uh, way you want. So because one of the things that I sort of heard from all that, that 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 I'm sort of starting to think about a lot is that you you have this goal um, of becoming a program director but you understand in the context of your life that like you're not necessarily willing to do like just about anything to have that job because there are other parts of your life that you like and that make you happy. And you went through a lot of great ones. I know you, you, I see on social media all the time, you're always finishing your runs and it's great. You're reading books. I'd like to hear more about which books you're reading. I know you go to Vegas a lot. Like you are, looking more holistically at like what is a well-balanced happy life look like and it's not just like being laser focused on the on like whatever your career goal is if it doesn't make sense in the context of your life and so i that's i just wanted to point that out that i like that because that's something that i've been focused on career like all through college and i'm just now being a year out and being in the pandemic and all that starting to think more about like 
well, like, what else do I want in my life? And like, what am I willing to do to achieve my goals um, while not, you know, taking away from other parts of my life that I enjoy? So Mm -hmm. um, I know that was a very different direction from what what your point was, but I, I liked, uh, I liked hearing about all that. I think that's really important. And so you'll, you know, you'll, I think you're going to find your way, like, you'll do what makes sense for you in your life that makes you the most happy. Like, I don't think you should move to Des Moines, Iowa, just to get the (laughs) job because that's the job you want. Like, then you're giving up so much else, you know? Oh, don't worry. I I won't be moving to Des Moines. Uh, That's that's, that's (laughs) not going to happen. That's not for me. Um, So so talk to me about, for you, like, what the next step is and, and the challenges that you encounter. Yeah. So, well, first of all, the next step, like, for me would be, so my job currently, I've, I haven't worked for four months. So the first challenge is going back to work because the pandemic has, um, you know, shut down a lot of the entertainment industry and, uh, you know, we work for our clients. Our clients are actors and writers. If they're not working, money's not coming into the company and Mm -hmm. therefore they can't keep everybody. So I'm lucky that I haven't been fully laid off. Like many of my friends who work at other similar talent representation companies, uh, their intention is to bring me back, and I hope that I can come back to work very soon. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is that I am a at work. I'm a floater, which means I basically am an in-house temp. I fill in for the manager's assistants when they're out, and it's the idea is it's a stepping stone to becoming an assistant full time for one of the managers. So that would be the next challenge, and is, is like navigating my way onto a desk of somebody who manages clients that I respect and like and want to work for, and I have a good working relationship with I would do that for a year uh, or more and then I would leave and go and work so that's like sort of supposed to be like graduate school for the entertainment industry because you're you listen in on all the phone calls you're scheduling the meetings like you're you're learning about what's going on with your boss and all the clients and then I would go and work for somewhere else that I would want to work like when I wanted to be a writer it would be and I'm still interested in working like on a TV show working as a writer's assistant or a showrunner's assistant going to a production company and working as an assistant to a producer there, going to a TV studio or a TV network and working as an assistant to the executives there. It's a lot of assistanting, like many years worth before they promote you to an executive role in any of these settings, whether it be on a TV show, a studio, a network, or an agency or management company. So that would be, there's a few challenges to get through first, uh, especially like with the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. uh, that's the path for now. I dig it. Well, and and I actually, uh, one of the guys who I worked with in radio, who I had on a recent episode, his name is Joe Crummy. He lives out in Studio City. So if you uh, if you ever are looking for a new place to live, he A, I think has a guest house, and B, I think has a whole other property. Um, he's uh, he's more a conservative guy. But he uh, he's an he's an L.A. guy as well. And he's been in the radio game for a long time. Uh, So if you're ever looking for a place out there, you let me know and uh, and I'll I'll be happy to uh, to get you in touch with him. You asked about books that I've been reading. Um, Yeah. So I don't have the whole list in front of me. I was trying to remember some of them as as you were chatting just now. Um, Some of the ones that come to my had that are just top of mind. The Thank You Economy by Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about workplace culture and 
not just your interaction with customers, but also your interaction with employees. I love that book. It's about 10 years old, so some of the social media references in it were kind of eh. But uh, in general, I like that book a lot. I bought it for some people around here uh, at my radio station because I think it's so valuable. Um, I, I don't know that you would get m much out of uh, Good Walk Spoiled, which is the last book that I I read. Um, it's a John Feinstein book, and it's about golf. But it's funny. I, I, I learn something from everything that I read, which is really what I love. Like, And he... He, so he's talking about following essentially the PGA Tour for a year, these golfers at the, you know, the highest level. And at one point he talks about how the commissioner changes. And apparently Donald Trump almost became the commissioner of the PGA Tour, which I found interesting. And, um, and he also talks about how most golfers on the PGA Tour, at least in the 90s, were, were Republicans as, as well. So I, that was something I didn't really know. So I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, Strengths Finder, which I mentioned to you. Uh, yeah. Down the Rabbit Hole, which is written by a, I don't think she was ever a Playboy Playmate, but she was one of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends. Her name was Holly Madison. Um, you mentioned Vegas. I do love Vegas, and she had a show in Vegas that I didn't actually see. Um, but I read that. It was interesting, and it, it wasn't, you know, it, it was written by somebody who you see her on the show, the girls next door on TV, and you think, oh, my goodness, this girl's just a bimbo. But no, she wasn't at all. It's actually written on a, a fairly, you know, educational level. Um, the Fantasy Life, which was written by Matthew Barry, he's into uh, fantasy sports and he works at ESPN, and he talks kind of about these bizarre stories of people in their fantasy sports leagues. Um, the Audacity of Hope by Barack Obama, I read that, and my big takeaway from that was um, it, it was interesting to me how much Obama talks in the book about compromise, and yet how in his second term in office, I feel he got away from that message. Um, but I I really enjoyed The Audacity of Hope. Um, and then one that I read a, a while ago, it was kind of the first book that dug into uh, Trump becoming president, Fire and Fury. I read that as well. And, yeah. and uh, I don't know if you've read that. But uh, but I enjoyed some of the dirt and behind the scenes stuff in there. Is that Michael Wolf? It is Michael or Wolf. Woodward. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Wolf. Okay. Yep. And uh, yeah, it is. And I don't know that I believe everything in there, but I certainly find it interesting. And somebody here at work gave me the room where it happened, and uh, and that's on my list at some point too. That I'll get to that. Um, that's, that's Bolton's great. book. That's like I think. Yeah. Yeah, John Bolton, of course. Um, I actually haven't read any of those because I like Donald Trump makes my blood pressure rise. So I'm trying <laughs> to like, like, I know they're all going to say bad things about Trump, but I but I, I love hearing on TV, like the, the highlights of those books. Um, those all sound really great. The thank you economy is definitely like that. That sounds like something I would enjoy. I love um, like I think you're talking about like leadership books. I love like stuff that's like businessy, but like leadership, mm -hmm. um, like self-help that's not too like psychological you know um so i love that whole that whole genre and like self-development in general so um like if you ever come across anything 
like that that you read that you enjoy, like let me know because I'm always looking for new books to either like listen to an audiobook or to read. So um, one or two others would be Made to Stick, which is also by Gary Vaynerchuk, which I recommend pretty strongly. Um, I have some of his other books. I just haven't read them. And um, I'll have another one for you in just a second here. I have to look up exactly. Um, no, it made to stick might not be. Hold on. I don't think. No, let's see. I've done it again here, Scott. Made to stick. Yeah, made to stick is not a Vaynerchuk book. Um, so made to stick is by these brothers, Chip and Dan Heath. But I do love in there, they talk about this idea of what makes uh, like a story sticky. And it's this word that they kind of morph success. Simple, unexpected, concrete, credible, emotional stories, which is as a producer, one of my driving principles that I always try to take that success, that, you know, that acronym, and I turn it into as many boxes as I can check with success, simple, unexpected, concrete, credible, emotional stories that will make a great story on the radio. Um, That's amazing. And that was a Chip and Dan Heath. The other Vaynerchuk book um, I will have for you in about two seconds here. Let's see what it was. Um, so I guess, like, are you reading something right? Crush It was the other one. I'm sorry. Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. Crush It. Yep, that was like um, his first big book. He kind of talks about wine in there, but it it it's interesting. Um, this is great. You asked if I'm reading something. Yes. I'm I'm not. I'm like desperately looking for something because oh. I just listened when I was driving back a few weeks ago from Phoenix to L.A. Mm -hmm. I listened to this audio book in the car called uh, The Defining Decade, which is about like how to make the most of your 20s. And I like <laughs> I become like a little obsessed with the like self-help for your 20s genre. But I think it's only that book because I can't really find anything else. So I've now listened to that audio book three times in the last few weeks to make sure I've gotten everything. And on the third time, like when she started to like, you know, give an anecdote, I'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I learned like <laughs> skip it. So I think I've now done that one enough. Um, <laughs> so yeah, these are great. Cause I, I'm like stuck on the defining decade. I started the four hour work week, mm -hmm. but I don't, I'm not going to finish that one. I don't like that guy's whole vibe. I don't know if you've read that before. I haven't. No. Um, that's like, that's like one of these like business books that like, young entrepreneur, businessy type people, that and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I've read. Um, people love the four-hour work week, but I think it is, that one's not for me. So these these sound great. I'm going to go with that. I know the defining decade, you're a little bit past that now. Um, so, so what I would tell <laughs> you and what listening. I ask is when, is when you do read these, either when you're in the middle of them or when you finish them, hit me up, whether it's a text or Twitter, DM, however you want. I, I want to know what you think about it, and I definitely want to bring you back to, you know, not just talk more about that book, but we can talk more about the election, which has, you know, a little over 60 days left in it. And oh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I don't want to make your blood boil. Uh, that's certainly <laughs> not my goal. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to talk about that guy a little bit, too. Um, I know. You know, in the last, you know, couple minutes here, you know, I've thrown a lot of questions your way. Is there anything else that you would like to get into that you want to talk about here today? 
Do you wanna do you wanna hit on the election a little bit since you since you brought that up? I can do it. I can go there. I would love to. What are your Let's What are your it. thoughts? I mean, if people have asked me around work, of course, you know, what do you think? And and I tell people right now, I think Joe Biden's sitting pretty. But I think as we get closer to November, I do think I think things will tighten, and. Uh, uh, yeah, Titan, uh, T I G H T E N, not T I T A N, um, right. and and I would not be shocked if uh, President Trump got a second term, but I, you know, if the election was held on August twenty second, I think Joe Biden will be our next president, and I think the DNC, uh, you know, was very different from how it's been in the past. And what frustrates me about the conventions is it's more about getting the bases riled up than really trying to grow the tent and reach out to moderates and independents. And I guess I would start with this. Do you think anybody out there still does not have their mind made up on who they're going to vote for in this election? <laughs> That's a great question. And I think there are. And I, But I am baffled as to why that would be. I feel like <laughs> everybody should have their mind made up by now. Like, if we not all gone through the last four years together. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that this convention, they did sort of reach out to moderate and Republicans. They had John Kasich. They had John Kasich speak. They had a whole bunch of Republicans, Christine Molinari and uh, Christine Todd Whitman, Meg Whitman, all these like Colin Powell spoke, like all these Republicans that were like trying to appeal to the moderate Republican sense of decency and basically saying like, it's okay to vote for Joe Biden, um, which I don't think they've had Republicans at the DNC in the past. And in fact, some of my more lefty friends who are more left of me, like were very upset that they only gave representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez 60 seconds. And they gave John Kasich, who's a Republican, like five or six minutes. Um, I I admittedly only watched uh, Michelle Obama's speech. I watched Biden's speech. I watched the 13 year old boy. I watched his speech, but in general, I did not sit down and watch all of it. I know Kasich did speak, like you said, and I know a lot of the things that were going on. Um, but I'm not a I'm not a huge, you know, this this shame on me being an executive producer at a news talk radio station. I am not this huge political wonk where I will sit down and watch, you know, night two of the RNC or night three of the DNC. Like I'll I'll pick yeah. and choose the highlights because I just don't think. Uh, you learned this in your internship here. We're all about the casual news consumer and, right. and you know, giving them the best content and what hits us. And I don't think the casual news consumer is sitting down and consuming things that way. But but that is a very fair point that, you know, there were some, you know, Republicans who did speak and who did, you know, as I heard it explained today, um, you know, this past week was trash Trump. And this upcoming week is all going to be uh, a dump on Biden, basically. <laughs> right. And that's and that's like, I think when when for, first of all, it's also no secret. I was a huge, huge Hillary Clinton fan. You were with her. Defender. Yes, I was with her. I'm still with her. Like, I wish like she was the nominee. I think she could be Trump this time. Um, but like, I think four years ago, that's like the conversation I was having with a lot of people was like most of these elections really are about like who you're not voting for rather than who you are voting for. Like, I like Joe Biden just fine. I'm not, like, enamored with him. I'm definitely more voting against Trump. And Mm -hmm. there's clearly a lot of people that love Trump, but I think, like, the ones that that maybe don't are probably going to be voting for him because they don't want Joe Biden, which 
Joe Biden is, I think, about as least offensive a Democrat as as we have. So they just may not like Democrats at all. Um, So you're right. Like, I think that I think the next week is going to be about trashing Biden. Um, I'm not going to watch it. I did watch the RNC four years ago. I can't I can't do it this time. I'm sorry. I I can't. Um, But uh, I wanted to get into the, the first thing you said about, like, predictions and like Joe Biden winning or not. Yeah. Um, so coming from coming from the left and like I, I definitely am like hang out with mostly people on the left. And there's so much whiplash from Hillary Clinton losing in 2016 when everyone thought she was going to win. That like no matter what the polls say or no matter how well uh, things look like everyone always just like either assumes Trump is going to win or like is very, very nervous about Trump winning again and like will not allow themselves to have any confidence about Joe Biden winning. And it bothers me a little bit because like if Trump was eight points ahead of Biden instead of the other way around, like we wouldn't be saying, oh, no, the polls are wrong. Like Biden will still win. And Republicans also would not be saying, oh, no, the polls are wrong. Biden will win. Like we would trust the polls if Trump was ahead by eight points, but because Biden is, and like we had this experience in 2016 and I studied a lot in school, why the polls were off. Um, like, and I don't think they're as bad this year because I think all the pollsters learned their lessons. Like everyone's just like afraid to like say that they think Biden is going to win. I definitely like, don't think he's a shoe in, but like, I'm not sure. And I know I'm a little biased. I'm not sure what there is to vote for, for Trump right now. I mean, you could argue that he, like if you if you hate him as a person, but you just love the economy, like we don't have a good economy right now. We can't we have a pandemic. We can't leave our houses like presidents have incumbent presidents have lost for a whole lot less than this. Um, so I I don't know. I think I don't think Democrats should be afraid to say like Joe Biden can do this, you know, and Kamala Harris. <laughs> um, so I. I don't talk about who I voted for a few years ago publicly. Privately, I don't make it any huge secret, but I didn't care for either candidate, and I threw up all over myself, and I, you know, connected the lines for one of them. But um, I do have issues with the polls. Um, It's not so much that, you know, four years ago I was, like, screaming and yelling that I thought they were wrong. Like, I've tweeted a little bit about this. Like, just the whole notion— of, you know, likely voters and things like that kind of gets to me because it's like, well, yeah, what what is a likely voter? I mean, how do you know, you know, if somebody's going to vote or not? You know, what what could compel them on Election Day if they're registered to go down and vote? But yet you don't have them, you know, marked as a likely voter because they didn't vote four or eight years ago. I just I struggle with that. Um, but I. I <laughs> Do I like well, these two candidates anymore? No, I'm still going to be throwing up on myself. Like, ultimately, I want more parties, more options, and more compromise out of politics and more working for the people. And my biggest problem with politicians is I feel like they are working to get reelected. And that that's what I, that's what I struggle with. Sure. They're yeah, power hungry. I agree. Yeah. Um, a few things. First of all, I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. I think the reason, one of the, the main reasons why the polls were way off in 2016 was that they got their likely voter model wrong. And often early on, they do registered voters. And then as we get closer, they do likely voters. And I don't know how they determine who's a likely voter. But you're right. 
a lot of Trump turned out a lot of new voters that had never voted before, and they missed them in those in those polls. So and only at the state level at the at the national level, they had Hillary winning by two or three points. And that's actually what happened. Um, it's just the state the state polls had, you know, were very wrong. Yep. Um, in terms of the parties, I think like a lot of people say that they wish we had some sort of like parliamentary system like they have in England or in Israel. I think like the time and and they only talk about that during presidential elections when there's a third party candidate running. I think if we want to do that, we should be starting at the ground level and like electing people to local and state offices who are Green Party candidates, libertarians, other I don't know what the other constitution party. Right. Like and then you build like a support. It's very hard to like mount a campaign of a third party for president and then they come in like I how would that even work so I think like if, if there's support for that which I don't know if there is like I think we could I think we could maybe do that in America it, it would be very difficult um but I think I think that the people who want third parties they got to start local <laughs> I just want to throw that in there so we're approaching the longest episode I've done here so I'm going to end things wow. here for today but here is my promise. In the next 30 days, I am happy to have you back on. And I would love to have you on, you know, maybe maybe a third time right before the election. Let's uh, let's continue to find some stuff to chat about. I had a great time today. I know you've mentioned that, I, that you had a good chat, too, which is the most important thing to me. Oh, my God. Such a great time. I appreciate you so much. You were the best. You were such a great internship supervisor. <laughs> You've been great ever since the book. Um, you are a very, very valued part of my community, and I hope I am to yours. And I know it's been a while since we've seen each other and talked, but no matter how long, like you are always an important part of my community. And I am would love to come back as many times as you'll have me. And I, again, really appreciate being here and getting to chat with you. It was so fun. We're going to talk again in a few weeks. That is my promise to you, and I look forward to it. All right, Scott? Perfect. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon, then. Have a good one, buddy. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.